Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen. And so are you! <laughs> Hello again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. This is episode 81, and tonight we have a very special episode because this week I'm going to be reading an original short story written by Drunken Zombies' own Brian Wolford, and it's a story of one of those idyllic summer afternoons when you were a kid that go horribly, horribly wrong and scar you for life, and it's called Incident at Bowling Ball Tree. And surprisingly, the incident isn't a blumpkin. Who knew? Anyway, there's a lot to get to, so let's just freaking play a promo and get to it. Zombies! <laughs> perforating that dude. Perfor. I don't, I don't want to hear you say that he's perforating that dude <laughs> ever again. Perforate dudes <laughs> on your own time. <laughs> okay, what are you selling? She's like, I'm selling magazine subscriptions. I'm like, no, I'm good. I don't want to buy any magazines. She's like, okay. So she reaches down to her cleavage and pulls out a joint, and she's like, want to celebrate 420? And I'm like, yes, I do. Blumpkin <laughs> head, you just don't want to see through his eyes when he's doing <laughs> no. it. It's just not good. <laughs> I was see say. it in 3D. That'll buy you one heck of a Blumpkin. We just, as soon as we announced the title, Dave was just like, oh, Blumpkin Head. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure we'll be making fun of it all. That New Jersey hooker gave me a Blumpkin and a scorching case of Gentle Warts for only $3.62. <laughs> wow. That's a pretty good deal. Drunken Zombie, lowering standards across the nation every fucking show. And remember, if you're looking for high-class podcast quality, head over to drunkenzombie.com. Massive. Hello again, everyone. Welcome, 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 welcome to yet another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent, which you already know because I already said that. Oh, it's he. It's so good to be back with you again with my brand new nose. Ooh, check that shit out. Ooh, baby. Ooh, I just want you to take that nose and stick it in me. What? No, it's not ready for that yet. No, I don't think it will ever be ready for that. What are we talking about? I don't even know. Okay. Okay, before we go any further, I just would be remiss not to address what's been going on in Boston and in Texas this week. Um, things have been horrific, and, you know, this is a show about horror, made-up horror, and... It's horrible that, you know, these real things happen. And um, if nothing else, I hope that this can take your mind off of all this stuff for a couple of hours because it's been really stressful for a lot of people. I know poor Mr. Brad has been in quite a state because, you know, he's got his whole 9-11 ties. And so this has been hard for him, which makes it hard for me. And I can't even imagine what it's like for people who are living close to those areas or who have been directly affected by those things. So my gift to all of you, and I hope it helps, is an hour and a half or so of just silliness to laugh your troubles away. Hey, laugh your troubles away for what it's worth. Um, yeah, so my surgery for my deviated septum is what I was about to say for my deviated septum was a success. So hooray. Thank you, Dr. Loft. 
well, so far it's been a success. I have one more doctor's visit tomorrow, which will be the final clearance to make sure that everything is where it's supposed to be and holding and all that good stuff. And um, yay. Was it a pain in the ass? Yes. Is it still a pain in the ass? Oh, yes, because I got all the space opened up in my head now. All the space opened up just in time for allergy season. Oh, oh, yes. The first week afterwards was an absolute fucking nightmare when I was still in pain, having to take painkillers. The weather changed. It got really hot, and, 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 and the allergies kicked in. So I was just one big ball of misery. So aside from pain and blood and gook, it was all this extra snot, and it was just gross. It was just gross. And I'm sure somebody out there is like, yeah, tell me more about it. Ooh, ooh, I'm rubbing myself. And to that person, I say, keep it up. I kind of like it. Anyway. (laughs) Aside from that, I don't know what the hell else has been going on. I mean, this has been such a big thing for so long that uh, uh, as a result, not much has happened since the last time that we've talked. It's just been a lot of me laying around watching television, and those of you who've been following me on Facebook in either one of the groups there, either uh, the uh, Scream Queens fan page or the Super Secret Screamers fan group page, I don't know why there's two, there's two, just deal with it, I don't know why, it just happens that way, I don't know, people wanted a group and a page, so I gave it to you, but that's not the point right now. As I mentioned in there, I've been having trouble concentrating on things, well, up until very recently, um... I thought maybe I'd catch up on reading and watching movies and TV shows, but not so much. After about 10 minutes or 20 minutes, just concentrating on anything hurt and became unpleasant. So there's not much I was able to talk about, but um, let's see. Was there anything interesting about the surgery? Um, No, not so much. Uh, It was smooth. I mean, Bradford took me in that morning, and it was at a special ear, nose, and throat hospital. So everything there is really down to a routine. There was no waiting around. I pretty much checked in, whisked right in. They stick the needle in, and good night, Irene. Because I pretty much remember getting wheeled in to the waiting room. I remember them putting the IV in. I remember someone coming over to say hi, and then that's it. Nothing. Nothing until I was home hours later. Um, Evidently, when I came out of surgery, Bradford tells me, Initially, I was crying. Oh, I'm in pain, Bradford. I'm in pain. And then I was crying because I was insisting that I saw Margaret Stockton hiding in the corner. Who the fuck is Margaret Stockton, you ask me? Well, I'll tell you who Margaret Stockton is. Margaret Stockton was the woman who directed The Red and Green Room, which was a play I did last May, I think it was, for the... um. What the hell was that even called, that festival? I don't know, the Something Genius Festival. I forget. Whatever. Who cares? The Ingenious Festival. That's what it was. She was the director. But apparently, at the Ear, Nose, and Throat Hospital, she was hiding in the corner and wouldn't come out to say hi. And that was very upsetting. I said, why did Margaret come out and say hi to me? I see you, Margaret. Margaret, I want to see you. And why are you breeding the Lord of Dunes? Now, I think this is funny, because the last time I had surgery, a while ago, on my wiener, those of you who remember that one, I was crying about Lorna Dunes then, too, so I don't know what it is with me and surgery and Lorna Dune cookies, but I just got one thing to say. Margaret Stockton, come out of the fucking corner, say hi to me, and stop hogging the fucking Lorna Dunes. They're buttery and delicious, and so are you. 
And the reason I'm spending so much time in this story, <laughs> this particular story, uh, is because I'm going to be joined by two special guests, not this week, but hopefully very soon, uh, Kristen Petty and Eddie Firth, who were also participants in that particular festival, and they're fucking insane. And this story will probably get rehashed. Because I'm kind of afraid of having them on because they're hard to control individually, put them together, and it's like putting two, well, two cocks together. And I mean rooster. Well, if you know, two cocks, whatever, you know what I mean? Shut up. Oh, God, God. Layers, layers to my humor, ladies and gentlemen. The thing that has sucked about me not being able to focus properly during this downtime is that I have not been able to catch up on all the really good TV shows that have started running during this time. Now, I've been keeping up with the following on Fox with Kevin Bacon. That I'm watching, that I'm enjoying, that I can get through. But Bates Motel has also started, and that's evidently great, and so has Hannibal. And I can't watch them. I just can't. I can't keep track of when they're on, even with the DVR. All of a sudden, I'll look at the DVR list, and there's 85 episodes, and it just makes me upset. So if you guys are enjoying that shows, either of those shows, please call in. Let me know what I'm missing. Let me know what I'm not missing. Whatever. I just want to know. I want to be in the know. I want to be hip. I want to be cool. I want... Oh, forget it. I'm... I want to be the new Jam Brady. I've got Marsha's nose, and I want to be the new Jam Brady so I can show up at Marcy Whipple's party and wow the boys. I got nothing. So I'll talk quickly about some of the things I did watch in their entirety. And unfortunately, I didn't see anything I really loved. Hold on a second. I'm joined here today by an incredibly special, special guest, I am joined by the one, the only, Sebastian the Cat, who is determined to knock everything off my desk here in the studio. So, we're going to have that to deal with. That, you know, because cats make everything better, and cats make podcasting positively perfect. See what I did there? <laughs> so funny. Um... Let's see, one of the things I was trying to do, I, I was finding a lot of movies to watch on YouTube. You know, some movies that are there in their entireties, things that are not available on DVD at all, and things that come up a lot on the Hysteria Continues podcast, and um, things they talk about a lot. And the two that I saw that, actually I saw three, no, two, two, that I saw there were Killer's Moon and House of Death. As you know, Killer's Moon I saw on Netflix Instant, but really that's not the point right now. Killer's Moon sounded like it was going to be a lot of fun. It's a 1970s uh, exploitation sort of proto-slasher type thing. It's all these English schoolgirls. They're on a trip, on a bus, and it breaks down, and oh dear. Coincidentally, there are four crazy maniacs on the loose uh, who terrorize them. Sounds fun, right? Well, that's what I thought, but it's, I found it really unpleasant to watch. Well, what's the problem, Patrick? Well, I'll tell you what the problem is. It's clear that even though these girls are, you know, adults, the actresses are adults, they are playing very, 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 very young girls. Clearly not of age girls. You know, they're just something in the way that they talk, the way that they chew their thumbs and stuff, and plus they've got, some of them have teddy bears and pigtails, and they don't talk about boys or sex at all, that it just really came across that these girls are young, and the focus on the girls in the story is not so much to get killed as it is to get raped, and I didn't find spending an hour and a half watching British underage schoolgirls getting sexually assaulted to be particularly entertaining. 
because it kept happening. Now, there's a famous scene in it where uh, Lisa Vanderpump, of all people, from the Real Housewives of, I don't know, Beverly Hills, Los Angeles, I don't know which one she's on. Uh, she's in it, and she's young, and she gets raped, and her friend gives her the worst rape advice ever. And while that was funny, the rest of it, not so much. Um, one of the maniacs even refers to them as jailbaits. So the movie knew what it was doing, and I found it really uncomfortable to watch. So Killer's Moon, I can't get behind it. Um, and the other one, House of Death, I watched. The next day, I went to watch it again. Because I had forgotten that I'd watched it, not because I was high on drugs at that point, no, because it was so boring, I didn't remember anything about it. I started watching it, it took about 10 minutes for me to go, oh yeah, I saw this already. This was boring. And then I spent 20 minutes trying to remember what happened, and then when I finally did, I said, I'm not watching this again. Fuck this. House of Death. And it makes me sad when I don't like what those guys put out over there at the uh, Hysteria Continues. Well, I like what they put out, but when the movies they talk about I don't like, it makes me feel farty. Which I'm not at the moment. Brad's the farty one, as you've heard, unfortunately. Uh, I guess maybe because I didn't see these when I was younger. They don't resonate at all with me. And seeing them as, you know, a mature adult, allegedly, uh, they're, not, they're not doing much for me. So that makes me sad. However, one thing I did see that I highly recommend that I don't want to talk about it, unfortunately, on the show, because it would ruin it, is a movie called The Awakening. Um, it just became available on Netflix Instant, and it's uh, a British set ghost story. Uh, it's set in the uh, post-World War I era, and it's about this young, sassy woman who is a ghost debunker, which has been a popular theme in past years, and she is very, 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 very staunch in her opinion that there is no afterlife. There is nothing after this, and she gets uh, invited to uh, a private boys' school that has been experiencing all kinds of paranormal activity. Phenomenon. Let's put it that way, because I don't want to say paranormal activity, because people go, mm-hmm, come. But anyway, paranormal phenomenon. And she finds herself in a whole heap of hot water in a situation that she cannot deal with. Now, what makes this so good? First of all, the atmosphere is great. The location is great. The setting is great. The costumes are great. And... There's something about setting it in this post-war period that brought a new angle to things that I hadn't seen before. The kind of grief and guilt that a lot of these characters are racked with for surviving the war, either surviving the actual battles or just losing someone or just having survived that whole experience and how much they've changed through that, I found really interesting. And on top of that, it's a great mystery. So The Awakening, go check that one out. I like that one. And unfortunately, what else I've been watching is BBC mystery shows, which there's nothing wrong with. But the problem is the ones that I normally watch, Inspector Lewis, I like, and I like um, Midsummer Murders. Those episodes tend to be almost two hours long. So they've gotten, uh, during this period, they're way too long for me. So I've been watching one called Rosemary in Time. Rosemary and Time. No parsley, no sage, just Rosemary and Time. And Rosemary, Boxer, and Laura Time, they are horticulturists. They go into various estates and things and try to fix the sick flowers, and they always are stumbling upon corpses in comical manners. I watch this because it's an hour. Is it a great show? No. However, I'm watching all of them because I can't help it, and now I have these women living in my head all the time. 
Oh, no, and this show's just so very, very silly because, you know, there's the two of them and one of them is the younger of the two and she's, she's all sassy and she's got remarkably perky tits. For a woman of her age plus, she's rocking a fanny pack. And, you know, it's one thing to have one or the other of two things, but to have perky tits and a fanny pack, you are kicking ass. And the other one, well, she's kind of a larger girl and she's the comic relief because she's the larger girl and that's how these things always go. But it's all very silly and it's all very stupid and the conversations are always like, Ooh, I do say rosemary. That is a particularly pretty patch of primly pune petunias are working on there. Oh, do you think so, Laura? Oh, that's very sweet of you to say. Oh, yes, rosemary. But I do wonder if perhaps your particularly pretty patch of primly pune petunias might be deep enough for one to discreetly dispose of the dreadfully decaying dead dowager's corpse. Don't you think? No, Laura, I never thought that at all. Well, what were you thinking, Rosemary? Well, Laura, I was thinking you need to trim your bush. <gasps> Do I? My rose bush? No. Your bush. <gasps> Ooh. Which is a conversation that has never happened on the show ever. Nor do they ever, ever stoop to such excessive use of alliteration. So why are you doing it, Patrick? Well, I'm telling you why. Because over Easter, Bradford and I got to go to the theater, for want of a better word. You see, do you remember Killy Mockbottom? She was a musician. I featured her music a while back. She, uh, I played that song for you, the track of hers off her uh, album Kill the Band. And it was a track called I Turned You Gay or I Made You Gay. I forget which it is off the top of my head. Well, anyway... When I told her about my show and what it was about, she said, oh, you simply must contact Dandy Darkly. Dun, dun, dun. Now, who is Dandy Darkly, you ask? Well, that is a question that is not easily answered because Dandy Darkly, oh, is someone who has to be seen to be believed. And I introduced myself to him on Facebook, and he immediately invited me to Dandy Darkly's Easter Blister Variety event. And this was a whole kind of vaudeville burlesque-type show full of all kinds of wonderful and crazed performers doing all kinds of bizarre things that, you know, well, we all celebrate Easter in our own way, the rites of spring and all that, but it was all led by Dandy Darkly. And he works alliteration like a bitch. No, he makes alliteration his bitch, is what I meant to say. He is a wonderful, wonderful, fabulously funny faggot of the most pristine kind. And what else can I say except his dandy runs darkly, but his dark is dandy, and I like him. So, yes, that was my little tribute to Dandy Darkly doing, that was Dandy Darkly doing Rosemary and Time on the BBC. <laughs> Dandy, get on that, would you? Thanks. Yeah, so this whole event was crazy nuts. It was so much fun, and we met so many interesting people. There were so many great performers. We got to see a burlesque performer named Poppy Tart who came out dressed as an Easter chick and stripped. It was a stripping Easter chick. She actually picked herself out of her shell. Now, what says spring more than that? Nothing. That's what. Who else was there? Uh, oh, there was a wonderful comedian. Uh, and I don't know how to say her name, Rod. His name is Ron Sayedge, maybe? Rod Sayedge. And he told a wonderful little monologue story about really the best birthday wish ever. He just wanted to get laid. And he did. And not only did he get laid, he got high 
and got laid. So it was a happy ending. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the other person that I met there, rather, well, she's listening to the show now. She just recently joined the Scream Queens Horror Podcast fan page on Facebook, and that is the divinely delicious Margot Channing. Now, some of you are like, wait, Margot Channing joined? No, 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 not Margot Channing. Margot Channing, because that's how she spells it. She's got an exclamation point and unnecessary capitalization in her name. So it's Margot Channing. Say it right or she'll kill you. That much said, children, I'm going to say this once. We're all going to have to be very nice to Miss Channing. All right? Because she's not all there. Now behave yourselves. Ah, so a couple of things I just wanted to touch on before we get rolling on the show. One thing that happened after the surgery, which was amazing, was it was related to the surgery, was when I had to go back to the doctor to get the splints taken out of my nose. And I heard this wasn't going to be particularly pleasant. I heard it was uh, similar to having a Star Wars figurine pulled out through your nostril. And I'd say yes, yes, I would have said a G.I. Joe figuring myself, and not one of those new ones that are like three inches tall. No, 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 the old ones that were 12 inches. It was like having a full 12 inches in a hole that couldn't take it. Um, not that I know anything about that at all, but uh, someone was really kind the day afterwards, after I had it done, and it, it hurt like for a second. It was like the world was ending, and then it was over, and then it was just weird, and then I was high for like three days afterwards. Uh, three hours afterwards, anyway, just from all of a sudden this oxygen in my head. But um, somebody sent me a video afterwards, and I posted it on various pages and stuff of someone getting their splints taken out. And I'm glad I didn't see it beforehand because my doctor was really quick to make sure those things had disappeared by the time I was aware of them. Uh, but as soon as they came out, boop, they were gone. Pretty much, they were fucking huge. These things are huge, and they looked like the, the little slug monsters from Night of the Creeps. So I had a creep in my nose. I had two creeps in my nose. And I didn't have no Tom Atkins coming, you know, to save me or nothing. And speaking of which, speaking of Tom Atkins, let me tell you about one of the drug-induced dreams that I had. During the recovery period, I'd forgotten all about it until just now. It all just came flushing out of me. Which I guess is what happens when you pull something 12 inches out of a hole that wasn't ready to take it. But never mind. That was gross. That was gross. No, I had this dream when I was on the Percocet because you don't really sleep on that. You just kind of have these weird opium type dreams, but you're not asleep. They're more like hallucinations. But I was dreaming. I was in this vast underground opera house. Yes, it's an opera house that's underground, right? And it's so big that people have to travel around backstage to make their uh, entrances and exits on time by slides and poles, like the bad poles, and pulley systems. It, it just like craziness. And somehow this became a Giallo movie. And in the Giallo movie, Burgess Meredith was the killer. And he was feasting on... Various chorus girls using this weird little weapon to kind of bite them to death. Which, I don't know how to describe it, because it's a dream and it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, also in the Giallo film was our hero, Tom Atkins. So it was Tom Atkins versus, versus, bleh, Tom Atkins versus Burgess Meredith 
in my dreams. And then there was a sequel. I dreamed a sequel. And it was it was crazy. It was crazy. I'm like, thank you, brain. You scare me sometimes. But you know what scares me most? Times Square. Times Square, those goddamn costume characters. And I know I've talked about it on, on here before. Now, all of a sudden, we have all these freaky, unlicensed costume characters running around, just like Elmo and Big Bird and all this shit. And they're all over the place. And they're all really creepy. And they're all really weird. And now I have to say, told you so. Told you so. Told you, told you, told you, told you, told you so. Because there was a huge news story last week that one of them... <laughs> One of them freaked out. Cookie Monster. Somebody went up, some young mother and their two-year-old daughter or whatever, went up to take their picture with Cookie Monster and then didn't have money to pay him. Because like I said, this ain't Disney World. These people are working for money. So Cookie Monster started cursing her out. He called her a fucking bitch and told her he was going to kill her. And then grabbed the kid away from her and was demanding his $2. So it's like, okay, Cookie Monster just lost his shit and turned into the paper boy from Better Off Dead. $2. I want my $2. Give me $2. Now, I don't know. That was Arnold Schwarzenegger, not Cookie Monster. But then to make it even better, Dora the Explorer came running over and also joined into the fracas and was also beating up and cursing on this family. <laughs> I was there. I wish I was there. And you're probably thinking, I wish you would start the fucking show. Okay, okay, I get the hint. All right, this is another very special episode. So uh, we have a short story that was written by Brian Wolford from the Drunken Zombie podcast. And it's called The Incident at Bowling Ball Tree. And I think you're going to like it. And if you do, by all means, write me, call me, let me know what you thought. Go bother him too. Well, you could write him and call him too, but he won't even notice because he's so fucking stupid. Stupid. But that's okay. Because that's our entertainment for the day. Stick around afterwards. We're going to have voicemail and all that good stuff. And oh, shut up. Let's play some music and get to the story. Scream Queens Horror Podcast presents Incident at Bowling Ball Tree by Brian Wolf. Read by Patrick K. Walsh. I should have just gone to play baseball like I'd wanted. It was the summer of 1975 and I was 11. All I really wanted to do that day was ride my bike the mile or so into town and see if anyone was playing ball up at the park. I felt lucky that day. Maybe I would have hit a home run that day. But in all fairness, the outfield fence was only like 150 feet from home plate. It's not like no one had ever done it before. Well, (laughs) I hadn't. But once, I hit one that hit the bar that ran along the top of the chain-link fence that was the outfield wall. Everyone on the other team called it a home run. And they let me take all my bases, but in my heart, I knew I hadn't actually hit a home run. That was really all I had planned on that lazy Sunday afternoon. If I had just gone to play baseball, then maybe things would have been different. Instead, that summer turned into a whole mess. A mess that I will never forget. Even though it seems like everyone else has. It started when my older brother, Sam, decided he wanted to go fishing. 
Sam was two years older than I was, so of course I thought he was the greatest person in the world. I would follow him around most days, and he he was pretty good about letting me tag along. There were only a, a few times he seemed to not want me around, and that was whenever he was around Sarah Fletcher. I think he was sweet on her and didn't want his little brother hanging around while he was trying to figure out a way to kiss her. (laughs) But at the time, I thought that was gross and would have much rather been as far away from that as possible. This particular day, Sam wanted some company down at the fishing hole. I really just wanted to get into town before a game got too far into play that I couldn't just jump in. In the end, though, Sam won. I mean, uh, when it came down to it, just the fact that he really wanted me to come with them made me push all the baseball nonsense right out of my head. The name came from a story that someone's older brother heard from someone else's older brother. Apparently, back in the 50s, someone had thrown a bowling ball into the water from one of the highest branches of the tree, you know, just to see how much of a splash it would make. But when they went to retrieve the ball... Well, it was probably their dad's ball, if the story was true. It was nowhere to be found. Either it had been sucked into the mud at the bottom of the water, or it had been swept away by the current. So every time someone swam down by the tree, they were always keeping an eye out, just in case they happened to stumble upon that aforementioned bowling ball. While no one could ever tell if the story was true... Just about everybody in town had heard it. Thus the tree now had the nickname of Bowling Ball Tree. It'll be great. I bet we even find that old bowling ball. Oh, come on, Tommy Gun. My name's Tom, but Sam always called me Tommy Gun. To this day, I have no idea why. He must have heard the phrase Tommy Gun somewhere, and it's stuck in his mind. And of course, I immediately put baseball out of my mind and headed inside to put on some old shorts and an old t-shirt. If we wore anything somewhat new and got dirty down in the woods, our mother would have skinned us alive. So, off we went with our fishing poles resting on our shoulders. Uh, Sam carried a small tackle box. I carried a small net. Sometimes I would use the net to catch frogs while we were down there. Most times, I wanted to keep them as pets, but none of them seemed to last very long. Of course, (laughs) at that age, I didn't seem to realize that they needed a lot of bugs to eat to survive. The fishing hole we were going to was through a dense patch of trees at the end of our family's property. We first had to walk across a cornfield, through that dense patch of trees, down one side of a large ditch, up the other side, over a small fence that marked the end of our property, and finally down a small slope to the bank of the large pond. Nothing more than bluegill and catfish swam there. Most of the time, we ended up throwing the fish back as they were too small to account for the trouble of gutting them. It was fun, just the same. When we finally got there and approached our usual spot, a large bullfrog jumped in and made a huge splash. I gripped my net. Maybe I'd be going home with a new pet today. We baited our hooks and threw them in. For most of the time at the fishing hole, we talked about the usual stuff. Music, TV, 
who at school had seen so-and-so's boobs. <laughs> the whole concept of feeling a girl's chest seems so completely foreign to me. But Sam was just entering the era that all boys enter. The boob era. You know, one minute girls were gross, and the next moment boobs seemed to be the only thing you could think of. You know, how did they feel? Were they soft? Were they heavy? Usually by 13, all of this was running through a boy's head about 20 times a second. I just let him tell me, and I sat amazed, listening to life as a 13-year-old. Sam had also taken up smoking. When we were out like this, he smoked openly. If our parents knew that he was smoking, he would have been lashed numerous times by our father's belt. Which was ironic, since our father smoked at least two packs a day. I was sworn to secrecy. Of course, if confronted with a lashing of my own, I would have given Sam up in a minute to save my own behind. But he didn't know that. The fish didn't seem to be biting that day. I caught one fish, but it was almost the same size as the hook that had caught it. So I threw it back in hopes that I would catch it another day in the future. The frogs were being pretty sneaky that day too, so by the time we had decided to head over to Bowling Ball Tree for a swim, I hadn't caught one. We made our way through the woods until we ran into the creek. Then we followed it along until it widened into that large pool. Bowling Ball Tree sat at the edge of the bank. It tilted slightly and leaned out over the pond. A lot of kids from the area came here to swim so it was surprising that there was no one there that day. If you climbed up the tree and went out on one of its branches, you could swing yourself off and into the water. There used to be a rope tied to one of the branches, but time had taken its toll on it, and a few summers before, it finally broke while one of the Easley twins swung out over the water. No one had seemed to replace the rope for some reason. I took off my shirt and threw it on a nearby bush to keep it off the ground. Sam threw his up on the bank by the tree. He seemed to be less worried about something crawling into it than I was. We both jumped right into the water with our old sneakers on. It was wise to wear your shoes while wading around in the creek. Sometimes high school kids came down here to drink and threw the bottles into the creek. Timothy Lemansky had been down there two summers previous and was walking around without his shoes on. And he stepped on a broken bottle and it went straight through his foot. Luckily, I wasn't there that day, but a few people at school who were told me about it. They said you could see a large chunk of jagged glass coming out the top of his foot. I made sure to never venture into that water without shoes again. This day, me and Sam made the most of having bowling ball tree to ourselves. We would do cannonballs off the high embankment, and Sam would go out over the water and swing, so he would do a backflip into the water. All the while, we both felt around in the mud with our feet and hands to see if we stumbled upon that old bowling ball. Neither of us did. We were pretty much getting bored with swimming, and I had gotten out to put my shirt back on. Sam wanted to go up for one more jump from the branch. I sat down on the embankment next to the tree to watch him. 
If we had just left ten minutes earlier, the day would have ended perfectly. Sam climbed up the leaning tree and made his way, hand over hand, out onto the branch. He began to swing back and forth until he got enough momentum going and then swung himself forward so that he did a backflip in the air and landed in the water feet first. I clapped after he landed. Sam burst out of the water smiling. I got up ready to start the trek home. When I pushed off the ground to get myself up, the edge of the embankment began to crumble away. I grabbed the edge to keep myself from falling, but it was too late. I tumbled down the muddy wall of dirt and hit the water. Sam started laughing and pointing. It wasn't a huge deal since I'd just been swimming in this same water. When I looked up at Sam, I saw that he had stopped laughing and was looking at the wall of the embankment that I had just had the pleasure of sliding down. I turned to look and saw something that was a dull gray color. Sam swam over and walked up to the wall of dirt. He gently began to brush away some of the dirt. More and more gray began to show. Eventually, a large stone appeared. It had some strange carvings on it. One looked like a sun. It was a round circle with lines coming off it as if rays of sunshine. The next one looked like a wolf. The third one was hard to make out. Time had worn most of it off. Sam pulled at the rock, and it seemed to move. Help me, Tommy Gun. I walked over and I grabbed one side of it. Sam counted to three, and we both pulled. At first, it didn't seem like it was going to come loose. But then at last, it began to give. With one last tug, it came off, and Sam almost fell over backwards. The large stone fell into the water and sank to the bottom. I went to reach for it when Sam let out a whoop. What the hell? I looked back at where the stone was and saw a hole in the dirt wall. Inside the hole was a skull. My first instinct was to run away, but Sam was standing steady, so I didn't want him to think I was chicken. Sam looked into the hole. The skull lay on its side. Upon getting closer, I saw that it was attached to a full skeleton. It seems to me now that we had opened the end of an old burial site. The area was known to have been home to multiple tribes of Indians. Sam began to reach inside, but I grabbed his arm. Don't, I pleaded. Sam just shook me off and reached in. 
he brought out what looked like a stone pendant. The pendant looked similar to the wolf that had been carved on the stone. A leather strap went through a hole at the top of it. As Sam pulled on it, the leather strap broke easily. What happened next has been burned into my brain ever since. As soon as that leather strap broke, howls went up into the air all over the woods. Both Sam and I jumped. None of them sounded close, but they seemed to come from all over the place. It scared us enough to grab our things and take off towards home. We ran most of the way. Once we got out of the woods and into the cornfield behind our house, we slowed to a walk. Howls still went up occasionally in the woods behind us, but we were far enough out of there now that we didn't much care. Sam studied the pendant most of the way home. Probably best not to say anything to Ma or Dad about what we found. They might not let us go down there no more. I nodded. But in truth, I wasn't sure I ever wanted to go back. Knowing that there was a skeleton in the wall of the dirt by Bowling Ball Tree made it seem a less attractive place to hang out. The rest of the night went on as usual. We had dinner, and then me and Sam took turns getting our baths in. I spent some time reading in our room... Sam's bed was on one side of the room and mine was on the other. I was in the middle of a paragraph when Sam came in, wearing the stone pendant. He had found a string and put it through the hole at the top. I looked over the top of my book at him. Sam just flopped down on his bed and seemed not to notice me looking at him. Outside... A howl went up in the night. I turned to look out the window when Mom came and poked her head in. Time for bed, you two. I closed my book and said my goodnights. Mom flicked the lights off, but it was a long time before I had fallen asleep. Sometime in the night... I heard a howl and jumped up in my bed. I looked over at Sam and saw his form lying on his side asleep. I went to lay back down when another howl went up. This one sounded like it was close. I turned and looked out the window. Sitting there in the backyard was a wolf. It was looking up at the second-story window of our bedroom. Again, it raised its head in a howl. I watched it as it stared at our window. Eventually, it stood up and walked back into the darkness. The next morning, I had almost forgotten about the wolf until I saw Sam come to breakfast. He was wearing the pendant under his shirt. 
I could see the string around his neck. We did our usual chores, and then I headed in town to see if there were any baseball games going on. After playing in three different games, the sun began to dim. I jumped on my bike and headed back home. Just as I pulled up in front of the garage, I saw my dad making his way into the house. He had worked overtime today, so I tried not to get in his way. He was a nice man, and I loved him dearly. But on days he had to work overtime, he was less than happy by the time he got home. I made my way in and found Mom just putting dinner on the table. I walked into my room to put my baseball glove away. Sam was in his bed. He was asleep. When I asked Mom why... She told me that he hadn't been feeling well all day. I stayed out of our room most of that evening so Sam could get some sleep. I read in the living room while Dad watched a baseball game on TV. When it was time for me to go to sleep, I made my way in quietly without turning on the light. That night, I woke to howls again. I looked out the window and saw this time there were now three wolves sitting in our backyard looking up at me. They sat staring. The moon made their eyes shine. After howling again they turned and walked back into the darkness. I didn't sleep much for the rest of that night. The next week, Sam was in bed sick. Mom had taken him to a doctor, but all they said was that it must be a strain of summer flu and he just needed to rest. I tried to stay out of the room as much as I could. The only good thing was, no wolves had visited our house that week or else their howls hadn't woken me. I prefer to think that they didn't come. Finally, the night came where the howls awoke me, and I looked out the window. There had to be more than 20 wolves now in our backyard. I sat, transfixed on them. They just sat and stared almost daring me to come outside to meet them. I sat and waited for what had almost become a game. Soon they would turn and walk back into the darkness like they always did. I kept waiting for it, but it never seemed to come. Eventually, some of the wolves got up and moved leaving a large space in the middle of the group. I saw... something... moving in the moonlight. I had no... idea... what it was. As it stepped closer, I saw that it was a person. The figure dragged one of its legs behind it. When it finally stopped, 
below the window. I had to cover my mouth to keep from screaming. Below me was a skeleton. Parts of it had mud and leaves falling off of it, like that was its skin. I jumped back from the window and covered myself in bed. I squeezed my eyes shut. When I finally got my courage back, I looked outside, and the backyard was empty. I looked over at Sam, and he was snoring away. I tried to make myself go back to sleep, but every time I closed my eyes, all I saw was the deadly crowd that had gathered in the backyard. The next night, when I was told it was time for me to go to bed, I tried to protest, but I knew that that would only save me for a little while. I didn't sleep for a few hours after getting into bed, but eventually, it overtook me. I heard the howls, and I opened my eyes. I didn't want to look. I knew what would be out there, staring up at me. The howls kept coming, and I knew that they weren't going to leave until they knew that I had seen them. I slowly looked out, and again, the yard was full of wolves. This time, they covered just about the whole backyard. I wouldn't have been surprised if a giant light came on and I saw that they covered the entire field behind our house. Standing in the middle, again, was the skeleton. He was looking right at my window. Slowly, he raised his hand and pointed at me. Again, I jumped back into my bed and covered myself up. I didn't look out the window again that night. When I woke up the next morning, I went over to Sam and sat next to his bed. He looked horrible. His skin was pale and his forehead was wet with sweat. I think... It wants it back, Sam, I told him. He didn't really respond. I have to take it back for you. I took the pendant off Sam and put it in my pocket. As much as I didn't want to, I knew where I needed to go that day. I made my way out into the backyard. I turned and looked up at the window. This was where it had stood. The skeleton, looking at me. I made my way out into the field and into the woods. I found the creek and followed it along until it opened into the large pool. As I approached, I was glad that there was no one there. 
somehow. Most of the kids around here must have had a, a subconscious urge to stay away from Bowling Ball Tree. If only me and Sam had picked up on it. I saw the small hole in the dirt wall. I looked around to make sure that there were no ghouls about. Nothing in the woods seemed to even move. No birds chirped. No bugs seemed to call out to each other. It was silent. I took my first step into the water. The water was nice and cool in the warmth of the day. I swam over to the embankment. Some dirt had fallen and closed off part of the hole. I inched forward with the pendant held out in front of me. I really just wanted to throw it into the hole and then run for home. As I got close to the hole, I heard a howl go up in the air. It sounded as if it could have only been from ten feet away. I jumped, and then I began to look around to make sure that I wasn't about to get mauled. When I turned my attention back to the hole, I saw that the skull was facing out, looking at me. I let out the loudest scream I had ever heard. The skull began to move. As if coming out after me, I threw the pendant at it and jumped back into the water. I swam to the other side, and when I glanced back, I saw it pick up the pendant. That was what I needed to see. I began to run. Suddenly, all around me, howls went up into the air. When I finally broke out of the woods into the field, I sat down and began breathing hard. Finally, the howling stopped, and I got up and jogged back to the house. When I came in, I saw Sam walking out of the bedroom. He had regained a little of the color in his face. For the first time in a week, he was able to eat and keep it down. That night, I slept all through the night. When Sam finally regained his health, I tried to tell him about the whole experience, but for the most part, he seemed to shrug most of it off. Three years later, my brother was out hunting with my father. They had separated to see if they could rustle up some rabbits out of hiding. My dad said he heard Sam scream and ran over only to see a wolf running away. Sam had had his throat ripped out. Large chunks of his arm that he had tried to defend himself with were gone. Most people attributed it to a rabid wolf 
What a sad occurrence, most people said. Personally, I think it wasn't a random act. Of course, if I tried to tell anyone why, they would think I was nuts. So I let it go. But part of me always looks over my shoulder to see if a wolf might be lurking. Not surprisingly, I left the country for the big city of Chicago. <laughs> Less chance of a random wolf attack, I think, was part of it. I only went back to Bowling Ball Tree once after all that. Dad had died back in 95. Mom held on for a long time, but eventually she had to be put into a home. And that only lasted two weeks before she finally let go. When I came back home to take care of the sale of the land, I made my way back through the field and into the forest. <laughs> now that I'm a grown-up, it's a forest. <laughs> when you're a kid, it's the woods. I found the creek and I followed it. I finally got back to the part where it opened into the large pool, and I was both sad and relieved to see that the tree had fallen over. Somehow it had fallen sideways, maybe a, in a storm or something, and now it blocked the embankment. Hopefully, that would keep any curious children away from climbing up the dirt wall and discovering the small opening that was in there. When I turned to leave, off in the distance, a howl went up. Even then, I began to hurry out of the forest and back into the field. When I signed the papers off on the sale of the old house, part of me was happy to be done with all of that. The other part of me still gets awakened at night in my nice apartment in Chicago by a strange howling. Hopefully, if I ever get the courage to look out the window, I won't see them staring up at me. And part of me knows that if I do look, that instead of a skeleton leading them, Sam. Brian Wolfert's Incident at Bowling Ball Creek is a presentation of the Scream Queens Horror Podcast. Read more from Brian Wolfert on his author page at writerscafe.com.
B-R-Y-A-N-W-O-L-F-W-O-L-F That's B-R-Y-A-N-W-O-L-F-O-R-D The Scream Queens Horror Podcast is a No Tiara For You production. The werewolf, the werewolf, he comes stepping along. He doesn't even break the branches where he's been and gone. You can hear his long holler from away across the moor. That's the sound of the werewolf when he's feeling poor. He goes out in the evening. When the bats are on the wing And he's killed some young maiden Before the birds do sing Oh, the werewolf, the werewolf Please have sympathy For the werewolf he is someone so much like you and me. Once I saw him in the moonlight when the bats they were flying all alone. I saw the werewolf. And the werewolf was crying Crying, nobody, nobody, nobody knows How much I love the maiden As I tear off her clothes
Hey, Patrick. This is Edward, that guy in Phoenix. Hey, I'm very glad to hear that you're back, and I missed you while you were gone. I'm and back. I haven't called because I didn't know what else to say at that moment. But now I get oh. to be a, a worried mother hen, and I'm really good at that. And with your sword boat, I have a recommendation. It's not a cure, but it does help with the symptoms. I've used it many times when I've had to go on stage. Um, make yourself a warm tea or a hot tea with, um, you need whole dried cayenne pepper pods, and then you just crack them and put them in the hot water along with some fresh rosemary. Well, you can use dried rosemary, but you want to, you don't want powdered rosemary because uh, you don't want powdered cayenne. Both of those things would be just horrible. I It'll be so. fruity and herbal. You can add a little bit of lemon. You can add a little bit of, um, uh, honey and it tastes nice and it does help with the throat. Oh. Really great to hear you back. Hope you're feeling better soon. Hope the operation goes well. You have a great day. Bye. Thank you, Edward. That was very sweet of you. Now, for those of you who might be confused, uh, what is he talking about? Okay. The last episode, uh, the episode that I did with um, Casey Criswold, um, talking about the Devil's Rock, I wore out and I was not able to play voicemails by the end of the episode. I just ran out of energy. Um, but I had been suffering laryngitis. I talked about it the week previous. So anyway, the voicemail that he's referring to is actually two episodes... No, I'm sorry. The voicemail that he sent in is now two weeks old. That's what I'm trying to say. So this is some backlogged news here, but still, uh, as a singer and as a performer... Vocal troubles come up all the time, Edward, so thank you for that fruity and herbal throat remedy. And if there's one thing I <laughs> there's one thing I like, it's fruity and herbal, because that's also how I describe myself. Okay, thank you, Edward. Talk to you soon, because I see you called again, but I'm going to save you for last. Patrick, it's Chad uh, again. Chad! I know, I know, I know. I promised to leave you alone next week, but... Uh, just finished listening to your most recent episode. Well, not and really. And I no. loved hearing Kelly on there. He sounds so different on your show than he does on N-O-T-L... L-P. L-P-L. Well, you know what I mean. But, it out. Uh, it was great listening to the two of you talk about that movie. And it was fun. Also, you inspired me to revisit a film from my childhood that oh. freaked me the hell out when I was a kid. Yes. And so last night I watched Gargoyles, a TV <gasps> movie that, um, you know, messed me up as a kid. And then I watched it last night and it was god awful. Yes. It's like, what the hell? Was I so wussy when I was a kid that this even scared me? There was nothing scary in it. But, I don't know. Um, so I have you to thank for revisiting a moment of my childhood. Well, that's all I wanted to say. And I hope you're having a great time at the Jekyll and Hyde Club. Well, and maybe now, but... sometime we can have a screamers get together at the club. That'd be awesome. Okay. That will be fun. Bye. Oh, Mr. Chad, I love hearing from you, too. Uh, this is another old email that was supposed to go out two weeks ago. So, yeah. So, um, and I'm going to say so is the next one. So, just because I'm going to forget. You know, the next two... No, actually, I forget it. The first three, forget it. God, you think I'm out of practice or something? Anyway, Chad, um, gargoyles. 
Yes. I also remember being petrified seeing Gargoyles when I was very, 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 very young. I only have the vaguest memories of the movie and also being frightened by it. And when I rented it about five years ago, I didn't even see what I was frightened of. Like I had a mental image of in my head of something that frightened me about it and it wasn't there at all. And the movie was boring and I don't know why. Oh, you know, the young psyche. But you know what? Now that I think of it, gargoyles plus older siblings, probably. The combination of those two mixed together, the, the, the exponential degree of horrible torture, psychological torture that are, is inflicted on young children, probably went all the way through the roof, yo. Through the roof, yo. And Chad from Boston, I hope you're doing okay. I know you are because I see you on Facebook. But an extra hug for you. Because I know you're locked in the house all day today. Yo, I hope they let you out soon. I mean, not him particularly. I mean, the, the whole city's in a lockdown, not just... Ch not this time, anyway. Chad is not under house arrest this time. Let's play another old voicemail. Hey, Patrick, it's Trey. Um, I just saw a movie I wanted to warn everyone away from. It's oh. called Smiley. The premise is it's stupid. It takes place on a college campus, and the whole thing is... It's like an updated version of Candyman. Oh. As, as the legend of the movie goes, you're on chat roulette, and you have to type out a certain phrase three times. When you type out the phrase, a mass killer called Smiley will show up behind the person you're chatting with and kill them. And the phrase you type out becomes a catchphrase of the movie. It's repeated endlessly, written in blood on the wall. And the catchphrase is, I did it for the lulls. Oh God, this is so stupid. It wants to be hip. It's going to date itself within five, within two years. The movie name checks all sorts of internet phenomenon. The group anonymous, 4chan. I mean, the fact that I did it for the lulls is supposed to be a phrase that becomes tense and scary, supposedly, is ridiculous. Happen. The movie is boring. The hardly any kills, I fast forwarded through a bunch of it. It's just, it's ridiculous, it's stupid. But then when you find out who the killer is, there's a germ of a good idea there, but it's so ham-fisted and obnoxious that it loses any kind of point the movie is trying to make. Uh -huh. And then at the end, they have to have a final jump scare that goes completely against everything, the nature of the killer. <sighs> anytime when the scary catchphrase is, I did it for the lulls, stay away, stay far away. Smiley. There's not a lot of those. No, it's boring. So I just wanted to make fun of it. I'll talk to you later, Patrick. And no one watches piece of shit movie. Bye. Trey, thank you for calling in. Again, I'm glad to hear from you, Trey, because I know Texas is a massive state. And you're probably nowhere near Waco. But hey, I worry. Mommy worries and Daddy worries. And I'm both of them. And thank you for the warn-off about Smiley. Because I was rather looking forward to seeing that. It was, I, I didn't know it was like what you said. But... The makeup on the killer is really unsettling. But if the rest of it is that stupid, I well, I guess I'll probably still wind up seeing it at some point just because it sounds so bad that it needs to be seen anyway because I'm a masochist. I am. Look at what I do. Look at what I do. Look at this. Look at this is what I do every two weeks. This is what I do. It's Friday night and I'm sitting home talking to a microphone in my underpants. Well, I'm in my underpants. The microphone is not in my underpants. That would just be weird. 
You know what, Trey? I remember I have a voicemail from you somewhere about Grave Encounters 2. And I remember not playing it because I was planning on talking about the movie. And now I don't know where it is. Hmm. Maybe I'll have to have you on and do a little guest spot and we'll talk about Grave Encounters 2. How about that? Okay, okay. You know where to find me. And now for a brand new call. Actually, you know what? Before we get to the new calls, I did want to talk about some other stuff first really quick because I got an email, uh, which I almost did not get because it got buried in the spam nightmare that my the uh, crew at ScreamQueens.com email address has become. But I happened to catch it, and I'm glad I did because it's from Paul Campion. And you're like, who the hell is Paul Campion? Well, I'll tell you. He's the director and co-writer of The Devil's Rock, which, of course, Casey Criswell and I discussed on the last episode. And evidently, he found out about the show. He found out about we were talking. We found out we were talking about him, and he listened and he loved. And he said, "Hey, Patrick, thanks for the great podcast about the Devil's Rock." And yes, I totally agree about the shitty cover art that was out of our control, and it was the U.S. distributor who decided to use that art, which does not represent the film at all. That's why the artwork on IMDb is different. As I ended up commissioning that myself, as I was so fed up with the crappy distributor's artworks. Cheers, Paul Campion, writer, director, Devil's Rock. I am always excited when I hear from one of the directors of an independent film that I enjoyed when they reach out to me and say, hey, thanks for noticing. Because as I said here before, that's kind of my goal here. I try to, uh, some shows really enjoy tearing things apart. While that is fun and I do, do enjoy it and plus I'm so good at it. I really, really want to uncover those gems out there. So when I find them, I'm thrilled. And when someone's excited that I found their work, I'm even more excited. So, uh, Paul, thank you for writing. I loved your movie. Sorry about that damn artwork. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go listen to last week's episode. And um, the other thing I wanted to do before we play that final voicemail is I said I want to start talking about the iTunes review section because there's a lot of fun stuff going on here and it makes me happy. And I want to encourage all of you to go over there and start writing some reviews and maybe get to the show some more um, attention to those out there. Because the more you are talking about it, the more the people at iTunes will talk about it and maybe we'll get a featured thing. But anyway, so the rating, uh, the review rather, that I'm going to pick for this week to read is from Loke Dog. I know it's been on for a while. It's from February 11th, 2013, and it's a five-star review. And he says, absolutely amazing. I don't know if he said it like Betty Davis. Probably didn't with a name like Loke Dog, but who am I to judge? Anyway, he says, one of my favorite horror podcasts. It's amazing how the host can keep his listeners entertained for the span of an episode. Actually, no, it's not, because it's Patrick, and if you start listening, you'll understand what I mean. From the stories of his everyday life to the extensive horror movie knowledge he'll impart, I shouldn't have to keep reviewing! Just listen already! Okay, maybe he's not Betty Davis. Maybe he's more of a Faye Dunaway as Joan Crawford. I should not have to keep reviewing, Christina! Just listen already! Thank you for the five-star review, Loke Dog. I hope you're here listening to this right now and you're clapping your little meat fists together in glee. Um, 
Yes, so uh, very happy. Looking at the ratings. I haven't looked at them at the while, uh, in a while. 41 ratings. Almost all of them are five stars. Except for two. There's one four star. And that's from Paul Redding. And he already explained to me why he did that. And that's okay. And I'll let it go because Paul's cute and actually looks like Paul Rudd. So he can get away with just about anything. But there's that one one star review on there. That's just going to haunt me. Now, it's not even a review. It's just a rating. Whoever it was didn't have the balls. Doorbell. You know what? Whoever's at the damn door can wait, because I'm podcasting right now and shit. Because this is serious. Whoever left that one-star rating, I'm going to find you. And I'm going to kick your ass. You are fucking up my otherwise perfect record. Bitch. So you can help my ratings by heading on over to the iTunes store and leaving a message, I mean a review, and if I read it out on the show, uh, hey, that's an idea. If I read your thing out on the show, you contact me. You send me an email. You send me something on Facebook, and you will get a Scream Queens, an official Scream Queens prize package full of all kinds of surprise goodies. And things. And possibly some viruses. That was gross. That was gross. Not computer viruses. No, no, no. I hope she gives you the VD the same way she gave me the VD. I'm getting weird. I think it's time to play another call. Shall we? Let's close it out. Let's go. Here we go. Wow. Hey, Patrick. This is Edward. That guy in Phoenix. Hey, Philip. Almost uh, is becoming my Edward. last name there. <laughs> I hope everything's going well with you. Hey. Went and saw... The remake of Evil Dead this last Friday. Yes. And as you said, hey, let me know what you think. So I'm letting you know what I think. It was okay. It, it was, was okay. it was enjoyable. I, I wasn't a fan of the ending. No. I wasn't a fan of the lead actor. The the girl that the drug addict girl was uh-huh. really good. And no, she was great. Seemed to actually keep getting better, actually. Mm-hmm. And she's responsible. She's co-responsible with the director for the best. One of the best jump scares I've seen in a movie in a long time. And given that this is a remake of a Sam Raimi movie, it's nice to see that they put in a good jump scare. My biggest problem was a trifecta of stupidity at the beginning that distracted Uh, me for a good half of the movie. Uh And I don't want to run the risk of you going blah, 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 about spoilers, even though I don't. It happened so early, I don't think it's a spoiler. But I will mention one, and that is that they, um, well, they're there to help her do, like, a detox thing. Uh-huh. They're concerned enough to make sure that her, the registered nurse brings her materials for uh-huh. her to detox. But they're not so concerned about a potential emergency that any of them would have brought a cell phone. Oh. Hmm. Not in the long run, a cell phone probably wouldn't have helped them, but no, it would no. have made more sense given the fact that they anticipated the possibility of emergency. True. That someone would have had a cell phone and could have tried to call for help. I didn't understand why that would not exist. It was probably just them trying to ignore the idea of how do we keep them from having cell phones, but uh, it, this is one of those rare wrong. movies where. I think they could have called all day long and it would not have affected the plot negatively of like, well, why aren't the authorities showing up? True. So, I don't know. 
It was just one of the three stupid things that happened at the beginning that fucked me. Oh, there were a few. I hope you are doing well. Like I said before, it is great to hear you back. I hope the operation went well. It did. And I look forward to listening to your next show. Until then, uh, keep screaming or toodling or something. Bye. I don't know what it is with you, Edward, who is not Philip. I don't know why I'm determined to call you Philip. I know it's not your name. When I sat down to record the response to this voicemail, I'm like, that's Edward. I always call him Philip, like an idiot. I don't know why I do that. I'm not going to do that this time. And what do I immediately do? I call you Philip, Edward. Maybe you were Philip to me in a past life. Anyway, Evil Dead. Yeah, I thought it was okay. Uh, I, it's one of those things I have no desire to see again. As far as remakes go, I thought it was fine. But you were absolutely right. There was so much stuff at the beginning that I had problems with. Um, that tag-on scene at the beginning, the, the, the precursor, totally unnecessary. With the professor, totally unnecessary. And just padding out the running time. Um, the cell phone thing, you're correct. You're correct. But you know, this is a beef of mine with horror movies anyway because it seems to me in every horror movie there's that point where everyone's like, Oh my god, there's no signal. And it always makes me go, why do we have to do this? Because I guess if you don't do this, you just leave cell phones out completely. And you go, why isn't anybody talking about cell phones? It's one of them catch-22s, I reckon. And you were absolutely right. The lead actor in this, not the guy with the long hair, her brother, was like wallpaper. No enthusiasm, not even remotely interesting. He was there to look pretty. And he wasn't even that good at that. So, what can you do? But like I said, for a remake, a modern remake, it wasn't bad. Uh, I don't really see how they're tying it together with the original films, which evidently is the plan, is what I hear, because they radically changed their own mythology. Because it's not about them anymore. The evil spirits are not a them anymore. It's a him. As Bradford pointed out, in this remake, nobody is... Possessed together. And now that I just said that, yes, they are. So forget everything I just said. Edward, who is not Philip, and all you listeners out there, because you know when it is time for me to start rambling on and on about non-factual facts? It is time to wrap this puppy up for another week. Plus, I'm out of voicemails. So... If you want to be like all these cool people who made the show even better than it was, you can give me a call at 347-767-3509. Or you can write me at crew at screamqueens.com. And that's Queens with a Z. That was weird. You can like me on Facebook, you can follow me on Twitter, and you can just be the best damn you that you can be. No better. No, you can do better than that. Get with the program, faggots. Anyway, that was... That was Watch me, faggots. That was Dom DeLuise. That's what I was trying to go for. So you can spare me all the angry hate speech letters. So um, I have a question for you guys. I was listening to another podcast, a podcasting podcast, no how-to podcast thing, and they were talking about chatter at the beginning of shows, yay or nay. This guy said, you should put, you know, all that personal stuff at the back end of the show. Put your material for front, keep the personal stuff towards the end. Because if people want to hear about, you know, whatever it is you're supposed to be talking about, they might not want to sit through 20 minutes of your BS. And I said, hmm, 
I'm going to put that to my listeners. So, listeners, do you, would you imagine having a preference? Would you prefer to have all my yada, 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 you know, after the voicemails? Or do you like it just the way it is? I would like to know. So please let me know. You already know how. I just told you how. So, uh, next time, uh, it's prom season. So, I, zombie prom is coming up right around the corner. And I have Dana P. Rowe on. It's uh, already in the can. It's just a matter of when. When I'm going to do it. Plus, I'm going to be talking about uh, a little movie that was suggested by a listener quite some time ago. I think before The Wall even existed. The Firing Squad, rather. So, Julie from 19 Nocturne Boulevard, you're going up against the wall because sometime in the near future, I'm going to have two very special, very crazy guests on reviewing Murder Party. Oh, yeah, it's a party with murder in it. Murder Party, it's a party with murder in it. That's a crappy song, but you know what? Someone's going to remix that, and it'll be a huge hit, and I'll get nothing. Nothing! Patrick's getting cranky because Patrick needs to eat the pizza that came because that's what the doorbell was. My pizza is getting cold, and you don't come between me and my pizza. So, until next time, continue to make the world a creepier place. And remember, as my grandmama used to say, What's the matter, boy? Ain't you never seen an old lady shave underneath her saggy titties before? Take a picture. It'll last longer. And then put it on the internet. Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com, bitches! <laughs>